Thanks so much, Trevor, and uh, good morning, everybody. Lovely to see you all, and uh, very encouraging. I know it's a wet, miserable morning, and it's cold, but it is, isn't it warm to have great fellowship together? Maybe in a nice, cosy shelter, so... Um, why don't we actually thank God for um, the opportunity to gather together and especially for the fact that he speaks to us through his word and so we'll, let's pray that we might learn more of him and how we can show his character ourselves today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for uh, this building, we thank you for one another, we thank you for the warmth of fellowship um, and Father, we particularly thank you for your word Um, Please minister to us through it this morning. Help us to understand your nature that we might express it in our own lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I thought I'd actually just remind you as a complete aside, um, if you don't have a Bible or... So we're going to look at the Bible together. We're going to flick at a lot of things on the screen. But if you don't have a Bible and you don't have the app on your phone, just remember you... We kind of stopped doing it because of COVID, but there are Bibles in the front. Um, and so it'd be great to be able to, if you don't have one, grab one of those when you come in so you can follow on um, when the Bible is read. Uh, one of my favourite movies is the classic 1987 movie based on William Goldman's book, The Princess Bride, right? Any of you seen it? If you haven't, do yourself a favour, you will have a lot of fun. Great movie. Um, but there's this line that comes in the movie on the lips of the mysterious dread pirate Roberts, hinting at this tormented past that justifies his ruthless present. A friend of mine used to have it actually as his sign-off on his emails. Life is pain, and anyone who says otherwise is selling something. Now, what do you think of that line? Is that right? Is it wrong? Is it cynical? Is it realistic? Well, it's definitely cynical. You you can't deny that. (laughs) But to be honest, it's pretty true as well. Because the human experience is always tinged by pain. And if anyone promises you a pain-free life, then in all likelihood, a dodgy sales pitch really is just around the corner. And that includes when it comes from the lips of preachers. The health, wealth and success preachers that say that the life of faith is one of abundance and comfort and of um, free of any kind of lack. And when they say that, they're not promising anything that the Bible promises you. And such preaching almost always comes with a, and to unlock this blessing... Just send your financial gift to this address. Quickly following afterwards. Life is pain. Anyone who says otherwise is selling something. One of the many problems of Christian triumphalism, if I can call it that, is that it tries to answer the many challenges that all of us face in our life and in our world with a shallow kind of positive thinking vibe that cannot deliver And actually, if you try to lean on it, all it's going to do is discourage you and make you question who God is. And it's especially powerless when it comes to relational hardship and pain. What we need when we're under the pump is not a positive frame of mind, but actual spiritual power to stand firm, to persevere, 
to overcome. And in the midst of it all, to still have the capacity to show people the grace that God has shown us. Have you ever in your heart cried out, how long, O Lord? In fact, what about right now? Think about your own various contexts. Do you find yourself faced with a stressful or hostile workplace? Social ostracism for your faith? Relentless peer pressure to compromise? Are you faced with a fatiguing, intense home life? Maybe even strained relationships with people right here at church? Disagreements with people you do ministry with, perhaps? Or maybe you're struggling for wisdom and compassion as you encounter those with different views of various kinds. And in those moments, you're hit with a hundred different kind of temptations, aren't you? To lash out, to give up and retreat, to mock or belittle, to become embittered and resentful, to fall into despair, perhaps. Maybe to respond to evil with your own kind of evil, to take revenge. Maybe even slowly to distance yourself from Christ because you think that in the end that makes life easier. Sometimes doesn't life make you just want to close your eyes and pray, Lord, give me strength? Well, here's the good news. He does. He does give you strength. And today we're going to look at the powerful, and I'm calling it that deliberately, powerful spiritual virtue of forbearance. But uh, first let's clarify what um, this aspect of the fruit of the Spirit is actually describing. See, if you're familiar and you've memorised Galatians 5.22 in the past, uh, you're going to have gone love, joy, peace, patience, kindness and so on. Um, And yet you'll notice that this sermon's titled Forbearance and that's what you're reading in, in the NIV now. And you sort of go, why did they go and change it to forbearance? Is that just because it's a new edition and they decided they need to update some stuff? Is there a difference? And I want to actually say, yes, there is. And I think that the updated NIV has actually helped us by changing patience to forbearance. Let me explain why. Um, our English word patience has a much broader meaning than the word that Paul uses in Galatians 5.22. What you read in Galatians 5.22 is a kind of patience, but it is a more narrow kind of patience. See, patience can mean just being willing to wait, the ability to wait. And so patience might mean you don't cover things because you're willing to wait for them. You don't rush into decisions because you're willing to be patient and make the best decision. Um, Or simply, you don't stress out when you're watching and waiting for the kettle to boil. But forbearance is a particular kind of patience. Forbearance is more focused on having patience in our relationships with others and as we interact with the brokenness of the world. It's a state of emotional calm in the face of provocation or misfortune and not carrying on and complaining about it all the time and being irritated by it. Now, I'm someone who finds picture language quite helpful. Um, Forbearance has been described as 
to remain seated in one's heart. What do you think of that? To remain seated in one's heart. I like that because instead, it's kind of the idea of instead of emotionally jumping out of one's seat when provoked, whether in fear or anger or anxiety or frustration, our heart stays seated. Our heart doesn't panic. Our heart doesn't overreact. Now that is a great gift, don't you think? In a world where provocation is commonplace. Because it's a gift that often runs against our instinct. See, for parents, is prepared to bear the emotional load patiently instead of giving into that instinctive fight or flight response. And that is what makes it a particularly godly virtue. Why is that? Because of four words. Forbearance makes space for grace. Forbearance makes space for grace. And it is what we see continually from God in the Old Testament. At at the end of Exodus chapter 33, God told Moses that he would have his glory and goodness, all of it, pass before him. He hides him in the cleft of the rock, right? Just look how God describes his glorious character in Exodus 34. These are very important verses, by the way. As he passed, and he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation. That's a critically important part of the Old Testament. But notice how much of God's glory, the word doesn't turn up there, but the concept is how much of God's glory is shown with his patience and his persistence with a sinful humanity. And have a look at how King David actually recalls this passage in Psalm 103. He's praising God for this and he says, He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. Sound familiar? He will not always accuse and nor will he harbour his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. God's ability to put up with sinners, in fact, was literally the salvation of Israel. In Nehemiah chapter 9, Nehemiah is, is a, an, wrote after the exile, after they'd returned from exile. In Nehemiah chapter 9, he recites in front of the Lord his faithfulness to his people, his patience with them, in spite of their repeated provocation by him, of him by their sin, all through their life as a nation. And he too recalls Exodus 34. Look at Nehemiah chapter 9. But they, our ancestors, became arrogant and stiff-necked, and they did not obey your commands. They refused to listen and failed to remember the miracles you performed among them. They became stiff-necked, and in their rebellion appointed a leader in order to return to their slavery. But you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Therefore, you didn't desert them. 
Even when they cast for themselves an image of a calf and said, this is your God who brought you up out of Egypt. Or when they committed awful blasphemies. Because of your great compassion, you did not abandon them in the wilderness. By day, the pillar of cloud did not fail to guide them on their path, nor the pillar of fire by night to shine on the way they were to take. You gave your good spirit to instruct them. You did not withhold your manna from their mouths and you gave them water for their thirst. Now you might, what strikes you there is his graciousness, but do you notice that the graciousness comes because he's been tolerant. He's been putting up with stuff. And he then, Nehemiah goes through the whole history of Israel's stubbornness and rebellion from the point where they were now um, to where they are now. There's in returned exiles still struggling with sin. Still not always learning the lesson. See, his continued bearing with Israel's sin gave space for his many gracious acts towards them, preserving them in spite of themselves. But as we saw in Exodus 34, God's forbearance is not a demonstration of either weakness or compromise of his righteousness and holiness. It's not God giving up. It's not God not caring. He's still prepared to judge. He showed that multiple times as well through the history of Israel. But it's a judgment that he so often held back and was slow to do. Given after numerous warnings and encouragements to repent, God's patience was his moral steadfastness under our provocation. And not some zen-like indifference or apathy. And this is what we saw in that reading from Jonah. Are you listening? God's forbearance is precisely what bugged Jonah so much. It got up his nose. It's why he fled in the opposite direction when called to preach judgment to the Ninevites. Because he knew that God's forbearance made space for his grace. And should the Ninevites end up repenting, he knew that God would forgive them, that he would relent from his judgment. But what he couldn't see, because of his hatred for the Ninevites, was how that same forbearance was being shown towards him throughout the entire book. A rebellious, vengeful, ungracious, stiff-necked prophet. Without God's forbearance, the story of humanity would end in Genesis chapter 3. Without his forbearance, the story of Israel would have ended shortly after it began. Instead, God promised redemption and bore with their sin until the time of that redemption came. And it is the same God-like forbearance that Jesus showed throughout his ministry. He showed it with his enemies, didn't he? We've just finished the book of Mark. You saw it again and again, didn't you? As he continually endured their provocation and their testing and their stubbornness during his ministry, during his trials even. He who calmed the storm with a word could have silenced him just them all, sorry, I beg your pardon, just as easily. But he bore with it all because he had a gospel to preach and a mission to fulfill. 
You know, there's this telling exchange in Luke's Gospel where Jesus is warned that Herod wants to kill him. And he says this, he replied, go tell that fox, I will keep on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow and on the third day I will reach my goal. In any case, I must press on today and tomorrow and the next day. For surely no prophet can die outside Jerusalem. But he didn't just bear with his persecutors. Jesus bore with the faithlessness of the crowds. Look what he says in Luke 9.41, you unbelieving and perverse generation. It got up his nose, but he bore with it. Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you and put up with you? But he did. He regularly showed patience with his slow-witted disciples as he taught them and they kept failing to get it. At points, even exclaiming to them, you know, are you so dull? But there's another display of Jesus' forbearance that he showed not towards the wicked, not towards the ignorant, but that he showed in submitting to his Father's purposes and timing, leaving space for his Father's grace, his Father's deliverance, trusting in his care and presence through his suffering. He bore with his Father's will and his Father's discipline. For him to die for us, you see, he had to experience our life. He had to endure our trials and our temptations and overcome them all. Look at these words from Hebrews chapter 5. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect or complete, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. But there are implications for us from Jesus' forbearance and his perseverance. Listen to what Jesus himself says in John chapter 12. Anyone who loves their life will lose it while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honour the one who serves me. And now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it and will glorify it again. See, patient endurance and righteousness and holiness is characteristic of God's relationship with this fallen world and the sinful people that are in it. It is his forbearance that gave the time and space for his grace to operate and for redemption to be achieved. So you know where we're going with this. If that is what God is like, then what should be the fruit of that God's presence among us and in us? Forbearance. And not as an optional extra. Like, you know, you might select when you're buying a car. Yeah, I think I'll take a bit of forbearance as well. No, that's not the nature of the fruit of the Spirit. You can't pick and choose which one 
which ones you want. Each virtue, they're all, they're kind of like, the fruit of the Spirit, they're kind of like facets on a diamond, right? You've got the diamond and all the facets with it, right? Each virtue must be expressed in our lives. See, what did Jesus say in that passage in John? Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant must also be. And if he walked a path of forbearance and we're walking after him, guess what path we're on? Elsewhere, he commands his followers to take up their cross daily and follow him. And cross-carrying requires Christ-like forbearance. And that is what we saw in our second reading from 2 Timothy. It was certainly the experience of the Apostle of Christ, Paul. But as he recounts that experience to his protege, Timothy, look what he adds near the end. This 2 Timothy 3.10, You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, forbearance, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium and Lystra? the persecutions I endured, and yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. Look at this. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Hear that? Not some people. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Brothers and sisters, that tells you you need to get prepared. As those saved by Jesus, we belong to a different age and we belong together to that different age. Christ has come and Christ will return and we are in the last days of the old age, the age that is governed by sin. And so it's a case of stand or fall and that requires forbearance. Listen again to Paul's solemn charge to Timothy. In the presence of God, listen to the way he prepares this, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, a twofold witness who will judge the living and the dead and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word and be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke and encourage with great patience, forbearance and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. See, forbearance is an absolute must in the Christian life. But remember, this is a fruit of the Spirit in you and me. God has resourced us mightily. See, it it can seem so hard, can't it? I mean... Forbearance is hard by definition. It's fatiguing by definition. You know when your friends at university are telling you that the teaching of Jesus is evil? 
when the politics of your workplace are ruthless and it seems apparent that if you don't play the same kinds of ruthless games that the others around you are playing, you're going to fall back while others get promoted. When you're stuck at home and you're caring for a loved one whose illness or whose condition requires your constant attention and you never seem to have time to do what you would like to do. When you're leading a growth group or a kids or or a youth group and and people are not turning up or, or the conversation is just really hard to get going or there is some kind of tension between members of your group or the slog of week-to-week preparation in your already busy life is wearing you down, when you're suffering the consequences for a big mistake that you've made and you're constantly feeling humiliated and ashamed in certain social settings because they know what you did. And when you're being judged unfairly because of a lie or, or some kind of misunderstanding or maybe even you've stood for righteousness and it's unpopular. It's hard to remain seated in your heart then, isn't it? And it can be hard for us as a community to stay united and on track just week by week, day by day, bearing with one another. But you know what? You can. We can. God's own spirit is in you. And God has overcome the world. And he will give you his strength. And he will give you the power and he will give you the courage and he will work his incomparably great power for we who believe. To stand strong like the proverbial lighthouse in the storm. To stay together like a shield wall shield wall against the cavalry charges of this world. Take heart and draw your strength from him, your God. You know, the more one looks at the fruit of the Spirit, the more it seems like there is this wonderful logic to the ordering, that the Spirit's fruit in and among us is first love and joy and peace, heart-filled blessings that we can soak up and share and that they're told to us before the promise of the leg-strengthening, uniting power of forbearance. So as you reflect on your life and relationships now, Where do you feel particularly the need for this aspect of the Spirit's power? What are the contexts where Christ-like forbearance is very much what you need right now? Where is the tide of this fallen world pushing hardest against you? Where do you need to bear with others so that you might make space for grace? A particularly important question would be where in our fellowship with one another is Christ-like forbearance needed? Are there controversies or frustrations or even just some ministries where 
Hard work and the wisdom of a settled heart is what is called for. Well, the thing you can know is that God is not distant. He's very, very much present. So prayer would be the best place to start, wouldn't it? Not like he's far away. I love the example of Paul's prayer in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. The way he says that, he says, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honoured, just as it was with you. And pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil people. For not everyone has faith, but the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. That's a, that's a wonderful blessing, isn't it, to pray for someone. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. See, prayer is the, prayer is the first place to go. But the second place is actually just as self-evident. It's not rocket science either. Remember, 2 Timothy was Paul's last letter before his execution. This is Paul's last will and testament kind of thing. This is his great charge to a young man who would continue the gospel work in the face of the same continuing hostility that is going to see Paul lose his head. And did you notice that the key resource throughout this passage that Paul commends to Timothy that would equip him and every believer for salvation. Did you notice what it was? The thing that he was to preach in season and out of season with great forbearance and careful instruction, it's the spirit-breathed word of God. What helps to be, us to be patient and to enables us to bear with others and make space for grace is being mindful of and reminded of the truth. Being committed to regular Christian fellowship and having God's word at the centre of it and as a regular discipline in your own day-to-day lives. See what I mean? It's not rocket science. This is Christianity 101, but it is what we desperately need to make it each day after each day. You see, key to being able to keep your heart seated when you're feeling the weight of the circumstances of life and the provocation of others is remembering the truths of God at the time you need to remember them and not some time later when you went, oh yeah, that's right. That means you need to have the Word of God buzzing around, right? And that is much, much easier to do when those truths are well ingrained and easy to access. The Spirit who knows our hearts will bring them from the back of our minds to the front of them when we need it. So let me finish with three things that He will remind you of to strengthen you. First, He'll give you perspective as you feed on the Word, because the Scriptures will remind you how patient God has been with you, won't they? Don't they? (laughs) As you struggle with others, He will remind you that godliness, wisdom, humbling, understanding, character transformation, all take time, don't they? 
and people do change and God works in them. And we don't have to go any further than reflecting upon our own lives to know that these things take time and that God also does them. God's in the business of of redeeming and transforming people. And it may take time, but in the end, it is glorious. And so let that perspective help you go, what am I expecting from everyone around me? Am I expecting them to change like that? Do I change like that? Do I suddenly become super mature and everything just like that in an instant? Well, you can be patient with people because they're slow like you are. Make space for grace. Another perspective that God will give you is to remind you, as the writer of Hebrews does, that God disciplines those he loves. He'll remind you, as 1 Peter does, that one of the ways God strengthens us is actually by refining our faith. And that that almost always takes place through trials. And the trial that you're facing now, whatever it is, is one of them. Keep that perspective with you. God's refining you in this. In his grace, God will also remind you, as he does in Romans 12, in 1 Corinthians 12, countless other places, that people are different and he's the one that made them that way. Sometimes those differences are going to test your patience. But the body of Christ needs every member. And even if someone is not a believer yet, the Bible will also remind you to keep the perspective that they've been made in the image of God and they're someone for whom Christ died. And let that encourage you to be patient and leave space for grace. But God's word will also help us by giving us perspective but he will help us by giving us courage as well. So perspective, courage to stand firm under provocation. See, what can we remember? That Christ walked this path before us. That that's, this is the way of the cross. Forbearance might seem passive, but it is the roadway upon which faith and perseverance can march. And history is full of those who have patiently persevered just as he has called you to. As Hebrews 11 reminds us, there's a great crowd of witnesses and Christ is at the lead of it. Look at Hebrews 12 verses 1 to 3. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let's throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let's run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. But the other thing that gives us courage is remembering that God is your witness and your vindicator. In other words, he can see what's going on. And he knows when you're standing for him. He sees when, for his sake, you patiently bear with others when provoked. He sees it. He knows it's going on. And when you show the same compassion and slowness to anger that he does, and he's called you to show, he sees that. It's, he's not ignorant of it. It's not happening in the dark. When you, like him, give space so that you can show grace 
And you can know that because he sees it in the end, he also promises he will vindicate you. He will bring his justice. Let that give you courage. As Hebrews 6 reminds us, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end so that what you hope for may be fully realised. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. And that takes me to the third and final thing that God's Spirit will remind us of. Our assurance. This life may be pain. The dread pirate Roberts may have got it right. But the life to come won't be. In Christ, your future is secure. And whatever it is that you're patiently enduring, it's going to come to an end. Isn't that great to know? You can be sure of that. What we are patiently waiting to receive, God is waiting patiently to provide. God's patience has made space for his grace the realisation of which for every one of us will not be a trial to be patiently endured, but glorious rest to be eternally enjoyed. As Peter reminds his readers, in keeping with his promise, we're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. And so then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless blameless and at peace with him and bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. Why don't we thank him for his patience to us? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the patience that you so continually have shown humanity throughout our existence. We thank you especially for your patience in waiting and not judging before sending a saviour. And Father, we ask that we might walk as he walked, that we might show the same compassionate grace and patience to others as you have so continually shown to us. By your spirit, give us the strength and the power we need and give it to us in the moment that we need it, that we might honour you always. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.